Years ago, there was a young man who was confused, upset, trying this and that. His dad wanted him to serve in a well-paying, respectable job, and so he was sent to the capital city to get the best education, which he did. And he began that job, and still he was frustrated, wondering what is life all about. He experimented, like many young people do, with sex, girls. He had a child out of wedlock. And still he realized that the more he wanted, the more he wanted. And so he turned to philosophy. And in that time, he studied and became an adherent to the going philosophy of the day. And the more he was into it, the more questions he had about it until he had a Christian friend who started to talk to him about another world and another way and another God and another book. And this friend of his uh, invited him over one day and they were talking and this young man was sharing his struggles and openly weeping. And he wrote about it in his autobiography with these words. I was asking myself these questions, weeping all the while with the most bitter sorrow in my heart, when all at once I heard the sing-song voice of a child in a nearby house. Whether it was the voice of a boy or girl, I cannot say, but again and again it repeated the refrain, Take it and read. Take it and read. At this I looked up, thinking hard whether there was any kind of game in which children used to chant words like these, but I could not remember ever hearing them before. I stemmed the flood of tears and stood up, telling myself that this could only be a divine command to open a book of Scripture and read the first passage on which my eyes should fall. So, I hurried back to the place where Olypius, his friend, was sitting. For when I stood up to move away, I had put down the book containing Paul's letters. I now seized it and opened it, and in silence I read the first passage on which my eyes fell. Not in reveling and drunkenness, not in lust and wantonness, not in quarrels and rivalries. Rather, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and do not make provision for the sinful nature. He said, I had no wish to read any more, nor did I need to do so, for in an instant, as I came to the end of the sentence, it was as though the light of confidence flooded into my heart and all the darkness of doubt was dispelled. Those words, written by a man we know as Saint Augustine, Augustine, 1700 years ago, ring with authenticity, don't they? When he was confused and frustrated, 
he turned to Scripture, and it was Scripture that transformed him into really, I think, one of the greatest theologians that the Christian church has ever had. And like Augustine in the fourth century of Rome, we too live with competing stories, narratives, worldviews, realities that battle for our attention, don't they? In 2022, what will be your dominant influence? The media, Instagram, Facebook, whatever you go to, blog sites, YouTube, spokespeople for this view and that view, personal friends, little groups, or will the dominant influence on your mind be Scripture, the Word of God? the church of Jesus Christ. You see, culture deforms us. Scripture transforms us. That's what I'd like to talk about today. Last week, Pastor Shep began 2022 with something on his heart, which was, if you heard him, take time for eremos, That's the Greek word for the desert, the lonely place, getting alone with God to pray. Maybe you need to watch and listen to that again like I did. I need that in my soul. Today, I'm going to talk about take it and read the importance of Scripture. Next Sunday, as you heard a moment ago, Pastor Jin will be talking about community. If I keep the same word, take Maybe take steps together. So, Happy New Year. Let's read about the power of Scripture from a portion in Scripture all about Scripture. That is 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is Paul's last letter that he wrote to his young disciple, Timothy. And in it, he says so clearly what we need to hear in 2022. I'm going to read 2 Timothy 3, verse 10, through the end of the chapter, verse 17. He writes, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, Love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is 
God breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thanks be to God. No, this is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Amen and amen, right? Well, did you hear it? Paul's day was just like ours, wasn't it? Persecution, corruption, confusion, opposition. It sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Except there's one difference. We have it much easier. Oh, sure, there's a virus going around. There's weather that's freaky and unpredictable. Oh, give me a break. We didn't have to decide last night who's in prison this week, so who's going to preach Sunday. I even said that to John. We have it so easy in comparison. So the antidote for what Paul says to Timothy 2,000 years ago has been the same thing for Jesus' people all of the time. Whatever the sufferings we're going through, it's take it and read. Or in the word of verse 14, continue in what you've learned, Timothy, continue in it. Why? Because, verse 15 says, it gives you the knowledge of salvation. Now, let's face it. If you've been around the church for a while, the word saved or salvation is one of those words that we use so much we don't even think about what it means, right? So what is it? To be saved, it means to be rescued, to be restored. It's a word that doesn't just talk about what happens when somebody turns to Jesus in faith. We say, I got saved. I received God's salvation. Yes, that's true. But back up into the wide-angle lens. That's what God started to do in the Garden of Eden when he came to Adam and Eve. And he said, Where are you? I want you to come back. I will bring from the seed of the woman one who will reverse the curse, one who will bring salvation, restoration. And when you find that man, Jesus, is born and he comes, as he did at Christmas, and we celebrate it every year with new meaning, we find that he came to seek and to save those that are lost. So, when we come to Jesus the first time, we experience salvation for the first. But that doesn't mean we get it all, because it's the gift that keeps on giving. It's salvation in the past from the penalty of sin, salvation in the present from the power of sin, salvation in the future from the presence of sin. The wide-angle lens says this is the picture of God's story of redemption. It's called salvation. And it's only in Scripture that we learn about it. How thrilling it will be in 2022 when we see people come to faith, saved, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit because 
they begin to experience God's salvation. I am praying for that to happen in Chelton in 2022. Are you? How thrilling it will be to see how each one of you and I grow in the middle of all the suffering we're going through. You don't see it when it happens, right? You don't see yourself put on extra pounds during the holidays, right? You only feel it later when the notch in the belt, guys, oh, yeah, I need to change my diet. Why? Because the pounds crept up on me. That little one that I saw last Christmas, this Christmas now has grown a foot, but they didn't grow a foot overnight. We don't spiritually grow in sprints. We grow in millimeters spiritually, and that's what will happen as God saves you from the power of sin in 2022. So let's take it and read. And verse 16 gives us another reason why we should read. Because right at the very beginning, there's this amazing word used to describe Scripture that is found nowhere else in Scripture. In fact, it's found nowhere else in Greek literature before Paul invented the word and put it here. It's the word God breathed. It's one word in Greek. Breathed out by God. That's what the Bible is. You might think, well, hold it. You just said Paul wrote this to Timothy. It's Paul breathed, right? Well, yes, but it's also God breathed. It's both. Jesus was both fully divine and fully human in one person. That's a mystery. Don't ask me to explain it much more than that. The Bible is the word of the author, yes, but also the Spirit, God. It is God-breathed. It's a miracle. It's a mystery. And that's what Scripture is. There's only one other time that I know of in the Bible where it specifically says God breathed. You know where it is, don't you? Way back in Genesis here, when God took some dirt, dirt, and he breathed, and here's a man walking around named Adam, because God's breath is life-giving, and even we cannot invent life. The scientists can only manipulate what's already there. God the creator is God the author of Scripture. That's what the Bible is. I was thinking of all sorts of analogies are bouncing off my mind here with this, and I like to think about the power of electricity. Now, if there's anything that makes me pause or give me eebie-jeebies or, you know what I mean? I don't know what the word is. <laughs> I, I am not an electrician, but I learned a few things from my father-in-law about how to replace light fixtures and things like that. So through the years, I've learned to always go to the power box and turn it off. <laughs> because if I don't, you know what happens, right? Just the slightest touch. Ooh, I'm not talking about I'm electrocuted. 
I'm just feeling what electricity feels like. I don't like it, but I love it. I love what it does, but to get in the middle of the current is dangerous. I think that's kind of like what the Bible is. It's the Word of God. It has authority and power and kind of spiritual electricity. And if you touch it in a wrong way, yeah, you'll be on the receiving end of danger. But if you receive it in the right way, if God connects with you through it, then you, it's better telt, sorry, it's better felt than telt, is it not? Because the Bible is God-breathed or inspired. And more than that, verse 16 and 17 say that it is life-transforming. It is useful or profitable, and he uses four words to describe what Scripture does in God's people's lives. And I was helped a lot by a book that Paul Tripp recently wrote called, Do You Believe? So I'm getting some of my discussion here from his good book where he talks about Scripture and the various things that Scripture teach. I just want to let you know, if you want to dip into that book in 2022, it's well worth it. Do You Believe by Paul Tripp. So here's the four things. You see it there in verse 16? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, training. These are sequential things, so let's talk about each one. It says, Scripture the Word of God, the God-breathed book, is useful for teaching. Now, that might sound kind of boring to you, but, you know, especially kids, class coming up on Monday, college students, oh, classroom, teaching, and all. Now, th think about it, like Augustine did. If you really think about the things in life that matter, What kind of answers do you get? I, let me give you a few of them. So let's say you wanted to think about where did we come from and go way back as far as you can, the origin of all things, both humans and the universe. It's a good question, right? Well, science has its answers depending on which time period in history you look at, there's different scientific answers for it. I'm not a scientist, for sure, but I think that all scientists today would agree that somehow human beings came from other forms of biological life, that, which is another way of saying we're a higher form but not a special form of life, biological evolution in the macro sense of the word, and that everything that we see came from some big bang somewhere. It had to have originated that way because things are running out of energy, so sometime energy was put in, but you can't get behind that wall of the big bang, or whatever you might want to call that beginning catastrophe explosion of some sort. Um, okay. Is that 
satisfying to your soul? Well, it might be or it might not be. Here's the Bibles. Here's what Scripture says. You all know this. In the beginning, God, right, created. So God was already there in the beginning. And however you want to explain the details of God creating, the fact is that there's God there at the beginning, which means that God is creating for a purpose with meaning as the holy, absolute one in the universe, not the power of gravity or the rules or the laws of physics, but a personal being with immense power. And that he specially creates Adam and Eve. Again, however you want to interpret that, only humans are made in the image of God. So we are, yes, higher and like God, special in that sense. You see what the Bible's doing here? This is Scripture, the God-breathed book, telling us one of those ultimate answers. Here's another one. What about the nature of evil and injustice? Oh, when you think about it, we hear a lot about that, right? Injustice, fill in your favorite, could I say it that way, your most well-known injustices, plural, that are happening in your world or in the world today. Next, what is the solution? What is the answer to that injustice? And, depending on who's describing the injustice, their good news is going to look differently, right? Where's it coming from? It's coming from whatever they want to say is the fix to the evil. Hmm. So for one group, here's the injustice, here's the gospel to fix it. Well, who gives them the right to say that that's the right way to fix it, let alone describe what the evil is? And the answer is, Power, majority, whatever you want to call the fact that they have a voice, and they are the authority. Whereas when you read Scripture, evil is not something that everybody agrees to, right? We all think it's wrong too. No, evil is something that God defines that is anti-God, and therefore we as humans own we reflect what God says about good and evil. Remember in the garden, the fruit? We either make up our own good and evil, that's what we're hearing in all these competing voices, or we go back to Scripture and learn what is goodly good and badly evil. Could I say it that way? Because unless you have a proper diagnosis of what's wrong, you'll never know how to restore it or save it or make it right. Here's another one. What about life after death? For every creature, animal, human, death is irreversible. 
Now, I know, don't talk to me about near-death experiences. I know somebody that was in a hospital and they lost consciousness and they saw light. Okay, but take that off the table for a moment. Eventually, that person will die, all right? So there's no coming back to say, yes, I really was dead for a week, a year, 10 years. And now we're up for grabs here. From nothing happens to nirvana, Everybody goes to the same place. So what's your authority for what you think? And where we say as Christians, we take it and read, we find that yes, our souls are immortal and our bodies are immortal. One day there will be a resurrection of all people, just and unjust. One day there will be a new heaven and a new earth for the people of God. And one day there will be a lake of fire for all those that have rejected God and His Son, Jesus. I didn't think that up. That's given to me in Scripture. That destiny informs my reality today. Here's another teaching in Scripture. What about fulfillment? You know, like, okay, forget about what's coming. I'm living for today. Give me something fun. What's going to turn me on? And again, depending, I mean, we've got a, a whole host of uh, things that excite people. Go for it, whatever you want, yeah? And whatever you want, uh, well, you know, if it's uh, not harmful to other people, uh, you can define your identity, your reality. Just, you know, go for it. And don't bug me if, if I'm different than you, right? I get to call good good and evil evil, not you, leave me alone. Whereas in Scripture, fulfillment sounds like this, deny yourself and you will find life. If you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose it, you'll save it. What? Yes, that's what Scripture says. There's a certain sense in which um, we're born into this world we think it's our world. But then after we die, we find out, oh, we were only there for a few moments, so to speak. Fulfillment is only found in loving God through His Son and losing ourselves in the awesomeness of God. Now, <laughs> I'll stop there. There's four things. Tripp's book goes through all the major Christian doctrines to show what does Scripture teach and how does it apply to our lives. Could it be this good as Christians? Do we really have these kind of answers? Yes, so let's take it and read. Teaching, rebuking. I can say this kind of quickly. You know what a rebuke is, right? Uh-uh. Or as Tripp says, it's where we are not meeting God's standard. If teaching is God's standard, rebuking shows us where we're not making it. That's what Scripture does. Scripture, uh, could you say it like this? Scripture is like a window to show us reality. That's teaching. Rebuking, Scripture is like a mirror. <laughs> it shows us the dirt on our face. 
And third, correcting us, correcting. Do you hear? That's a positive thing. It's not slapping us down and leaving us in the dirt. It's the mirror that says, yes, you need help, you need change. But correcting is, I'm using Tripp's words here, closing the gap between where we are and where God wants us to be. So, my analogy here is that Scripture is like a doctor pointing us to healing and good spiritual health. This is a continual process of comparison correction, comparison correction. Tripp says, driven by the truths of Scripture and empowered by the work of God's Spirit. Or it's what we call sanctification, correction. That's what the Scripture does for us. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and then fourth, finally, training us to consistently practice God's standard of holy living. So, my analogy here, Scripture's like a personal trainer. I don't have one. I never had one, but I know some of you have, maybe. Maybe I need one. <laughs> you know? Where somebody comes alongside you and says, no, you need to use these weights to help your muscles develop here or whatever it might be. That's what Scripture does. It trains you to run the marathon. God's Word is satisfying, but it's not fully comprehensible. So just like a trainer will say, you've got to lift these weights every other day. Oh, here's an, an illustration for you. Um, for years, I had shoulder pain, and I had injections, you know, I went to physical therapy and all this, and it just kept coming back and back. And somebody said to me, well, if you just lift some small hand weights like this, you'll strengthen that muscle there. That's probably what the PT person said, and I forgot to do it cons cons consistently. But right? But enough pain, and I'm... And so, oh, I've got, to, I've got some 10-pound little dumbbells at home. So, about a year ago, I started doing this, like 20 of them, maybe two or three times a week. After a couple of weeks, I noticed it doesn't hurt anymore. Wow. So, I said to this friend of mine who knows about this, he said, yeah, you just strengthened that area that needed it. But it took a couple of weeks and I keep doing it because when I stop doing it, I notice in the morning I wake up, oh, I'm laying on my arm the wrong way, I guess, or I strained at doing something. That's what Scripture does. It trains us. It's not a once and done. That's why we need to take it and read. Now, let's, let's practice this one on Pastor Shep's sermon last week. Remember that? He was in the Gospel of Luke, uh, and he talked about Jesus getting away to an eremos, to a lonely place, to a deserted place, and praying. I think it was just two verses, right? So what did he do in his sermon? What did God do in Scripture as I was listening to that, as you were listening, right? I hope. Well, hopefully you learned, oh yeah, Jesus 
was really busy. He had a lot to do, but he purposely got away to pray to his father. And that's teaching. See that? That's information about Jesus. Well, that's the window. But now it became a mirror because as Pastor John said, that's not me, he said, and of course it's not me either. Wow, busy is the name of my game, right? I love to check it off the list in a hurry. That means you're important. You know, that guy, ouch, ouch, he was stepping all over me last week. Not him, but Scripture was. It was rebuking me. But it didn't leave me there because his preaching was inviting me to be more like Jesus because I am in Christ. I am a Jesus follower. I have the Spirit of God. And I want to pray. I really do want to pray more. So he was like a physical trainer, personal trainer. He was saying, well, then maybe you need to uh, take a break, right? Maybe you need to... Well, it's very helpful, you see? Tripp says, Scripture, doing these four things, is a call to handle the truths of Scripture in a way that results in a constant pattern of personal self-examination that leads to honest and humble confession, which produces commitment to repentance, resulting in a life of increasing spiritual maturity and joyful obedience. That's why verse 17 can say that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What you really need in 2022 is not better health, is not a better job, is not a degree, passing your classes, um, fill in the blank, better friends, more money, What you really need is to be equipped in your soul to live to please God. And if you do that, all those other things will become minor goals in your life. So let's take up and read. Now, how how can we do this in 2022? Well, If you've been around Shelton long enough, you know that what I'm saying this morning is nothing brand new. Every one of our church ministries, if you take a core sample of them, pull it up, you're going to see Scripture is part of it. From the children's all the way up to, I won't list all our ministries, but everyone is built with and alongside Scripture. But... You need it personally. It's not enough to just come here and say, oh yeah, Jim Lovelady weaves scripture through the worship liturgy of the order of service and the preachers preach it. Yeah, I'm good for the week. No, you're not. Can I risk saying this? (laughs) A vaccination on Sunday is not enough. You need scripture Every day, like food. Pardon me for bringing up the V word. 
That's why Deuteronomy chapter 6, remember when it says, Hear, Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you will love the Lord your God with all your heart. Remember what it says next? And then, when you're at home, write it on the doorposts. Write it on your forehead and on your hand and teach it to the little ones. What's that saying? The Torah is not just for the temple and the priests. It's for every person of God. And in 2 Timothy 4, the chapter right after ours, verse 13, Paul said this, his final words to Timothy from prison. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls especially the parchments. What? He's in a dark, dungy prison dying, and he wants to read? Spurgeon remarked, he is inspired, and yet he wants books. He has been preaching for at least 30 years, and yet he wants books. He has seen the Lord, and yet he wants books. He'd been caught up into the third heaven and heard things which was unlawful for men to utter, and yet he wants books. He had written the major part of the New Testament, and yet he wants books. So we also should take up and read. You know, I have to show you something. Take a look here at this slide. And in my hand, I have something that was discovered about 40 years ago in Jerusalem in a burial chamber. They thought it was robbed out years ago by tomb raiders until they found that rubble from the top had kind of sealed what was underneath. And when the archaeologists dug it out, they found a lot of different things, pottery and bones, but they found what looked like cigarette butts, two of them. But they were hard, encrusted. So the scientists looked at them and said, you know, after testing, they're silver scrolls all rolled up that were worn around people's necks like a necklace. And it took them a couple years to figure out how to unroll it without damaging this delicate silver. And when they did, this one that I have a replica of here, they found that it was the prayer of the high priest in the book of Numbers chapter 6. You know it, right? The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. All rolled up in someone who was buried. Some of you wear crosses or jewelry. Hopefully not just, oh, that fits my outfit, or this is cool to wear, but because it means something to you personally, you take Scripture on yourself. So, let me conclude by saying, if you're going to take it and read, first of all, you have to have it. You have to have a Bible, and I would recommend, in addition to, if you have a digital Bible, like I do, 
on my phone, on my iPad, on my computer. How about a printed page, a printed Bible? Now, I say that because, I, right, some of you think, well, I got it on my phone. Why do I need it in my hand? Well, let's say your battery runs out. How about that? <laughs> now, there's something about having it printed. Trust me, studies have been shown. Uh, studies have shown that reading something that's printed sticks more than what is digitized. Secondly, plan to read it. Take time each day to take it and read. Now, when you set your goal, be realistic, not idealistic, and do it according to what works best for you and your brain and your mind and your schedule. And then for some of you, you might need the whole big picture of Scripture, you know, breadth. So read the Bible through like many of you did in 2021. Try it in 2022. St start in the Old Testament, set an alarm, read... <laughs> I'm almost finished. Read it through. Do it. Or maybe you, some of you say, I did do it, or I tried it, and that's so hard to do. Well, then take something smaller, like one book of Scripture. Breadth or depth? You know, Shep gave an illustration last week about walking on the beach. That reminded me. I love to do that, too. I love to just take in the clouds and the waves and the, the expanse. That's the breadth but I also love to sit with my grandkids on the sand and look at the grains and the little, I don't know what you call them, uh, clams or whatever that come up and just play with the sand, go deep. And some of you need to go deep in 2022 this year. Some of you may need to or want to take a topic, maybe something that you wanted to always learn about, whatever it might be. There are books, resources. Please see any of the pastors if you need some suggestions here. For parents, you need to start working with your children. And Mary Davis, in the email this week that you received, talked about three different resources. One called the whole story for the whole family. That's the, the breadth, the whole through the Bible thing. The other, the best news ever, 100-day guide in the book of Mark for kids ages 7 through 12. And third, Kaleidoscope, Kids' Bible Reimagined, a series of books that puts a few books of the Bible in an easy-reader format. If you want to see what these look like, they're sample copies down in the children's area down the steps there. So let's take it and read. Augustine lived to be an old man in North Africa. He spent his final days reading Scripture. Remember, he came to Christ when he heard those words, take it and read, and he kept doing that till the day he died. And he told his friends he wanted to be alone with God and his word, and he asked his friend to write out Scripture, let me read, this is what he did, this is his friend who wrote this, 
This is what he did in his own last illness, for he had ordered the four Psalms of David that deal with penitence to be copied out, and from his sickbed he could see them crying constantly and deeply, and he died, quoting back, praying back the words of God to God until he saw Jesus face to face. What a life. What a way to go. So let's take it and read. God, thank you for inspiring your word for us. Lord, these are difficult days. Your word is a light. Your word is strength. Your word is like honey. We need you. We need your word. May we love you more and more because we have taken it and read it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.